Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. Hello and welcome back to the show. It is June 1st. This is the Transcend Human Podcast and we are in the middle of a series called Controversy Theory. For those of you just joining us for the first time, um, just know that you can go back a few episodes and start this series at the beginning. Uh, If you're interested in what we're talking about, it might help gain some context as to where we're headed and why we're talking about Controversy Theory. Um, Or you could head all the way back to the very beginning, the first episode, uh, and that might help you gain context as to what Transcend Human is all about and why we're talking about the things we're talking about. So for those of you who've been around for a while and uh, have kept up with the show, welcome back and I hope you're enjoying this series we're in. Uh, Let's dive into a minute of transparency first of all. Uh, So my wife and I were having this conversation the other day about quarantine and how it impacts different people, and we got into the whole uh, introvert versus extrovert conversation. So on the surface, the stereotypical response would probably be that introverts are loving life right now, right? And extroverts are probably going crazy. So for us, um, I would say, you know, my wife being the extrovert, yes, that seems to hold true. She has eventually, you know, gotten more and more frustrated with being cooped up in the house all day. Uh, and she's been doing really everything in her power to get out of the house, to to go grab things at the store, to go through drive throughs um, you know, get takeout for some dinners, set up excursions on the weekends, like hikes or going to the beach, things like that. Whatever, whatever we're allowed to do, uh, we'll push the envelope to do it. For me, being more of a, an introvert, I guess you'd say I've had an easier time of things. Uh, and I, I probably went a lot longer uh, being okay with being at home. But not as much as you'd think. Uh, ordinarily, I love being by myself. I love long periods of time, um, you know, away from people, reading, writing, just doing solitary things. Uh, for the introvert, uh, these are the times when you recharge the batteries so you can be around people again. Uh, however, this has been a little different. You know, maybe it's because I'm being told to stay home and who likes to be told what to do, right? Maybe it's because I'm not really doing at-home stuff half the time, right? I've been working and I've been working a lot. Um, add up all the work and the household stuff, the interacting with family, uh, family who are just trying to do the same things you're doing, and it gets a bit overwhelming at times. So for me, uh, it's almost been the opposite, right? In in the past as an introvert, I, I really looked forward to being at home because when you're at home, you can be by yourself and you can do the solitary things. Um, but now as an introvert, I actually look forward to getting out of the house, you know, going on walks, basically being away from the house in order to have some of that recharge time. 
uh, very strange world for sure. And finally, there's, there's another thing that I've noticed about being locked up with family. And I wonder if you've seen similar things in your situation. So, you know, six months ago, if somebody came to you and said, you know, you're going to be locked up in your house with your family working from home, you'd probably assume that you would grow closer to your family, right? That you'd have all this time together and that you would have all this time to bond, stuff like that. Well, I'm wondering if that's really the case at all. So for our family, uh, we've definitely had more conversations. Uh, we've had more meals together. Uh, we've done game nights. We've done movie nights. Uh, you know, obviously we've been around each other more. But one thing I've noticed is that the closer we are in proximity, the more tension there can be as well. Crazy, you say? Well, hear me out, and then you can decide for yourself. So the thought is this. Uh, when you work outside the house, it is expected that you'll be away. Subconsciously, a family member knows that you're gone, and they're okay with it on some level. They know you're working, and they know at some point you'll be back. So really, the tension level uh, remains pretty low. However, when you're working from home, the way we've been working from home, uh, the, the time spent working isn't out of sight, out of mind. It's literally right there in front of you. Uh, you get an, an upfront and personal view of what it means for the person to work, right? You see the person sitting there in front of you in their computer chair uh, for huge blocks of time, head down or headphones on, um, you know, people asking not to be disturbed. And on some level, I think that this causes some tension. At least I've seen it for me in my family members. And, you know, it's hard to be in a house where all of the family members are either locked in their rooms or walking around on eggshells, trying not to disturb each other um, on Zoom calls and, you know, working on projects on computers, things like that. You know, the person is right there in front of you and you just want to ask them a question, but you're not sure, you know, will it bother them? Are they in the middle of something important? And so that's, that's kind of my thought there is, you know, I wonder if being around people more often actually creates more tension on some level, you know, that, that being away and doing the whole thing where, you know, people go away to school and go away to work and then come back together at the end of the day. You know, if that really isn't a better scenario, because you're, you're more ready to be home, you're happier to be home and you can kind of unload everything and just be with your family versus living the, the ins and outs of the day right in front of the other people. Just a thought anyway. So that's my strange situation that I find myself in right now. And I know it's specific to me. Um, but I wonder how things are going for you. You know, I know this is a difficult time. You know, there are people who are at home who are not in the same situation. They're not having to work from home because they're furloughed or because they've lost jobs. You know, every situation is a little bit different. Uh, and so each of us is having to cope with these situations and deal with the, the changes in, in different ways. So this week, uh, I, I just encourage everyone to realize that we are all in this together. And so let's try to be understanding. Let's try to love each other well. And um, yeah, just be there for each other. 
All right, uh, let's move into the topic for today. As I told you last week, you know, this is one that really packs people in the seats. In fact, it's so interesting. I think the only thing people like talking about more is budgeting or perhaps giving. Um, you know, sorry for the sarcasm, but really that's what we have on the docket for this week. It's a great topic that really keeps people coming back. Um, however, it is an important topic, so it's not something that we can just skip over because. Uh, it's easier to talk about other things. Um, we really have to uh, address this as we walk through uh, the theory. So what are we talking about? Uh, let's just call it R&R. However, not the R&R you're thinking about. Not rest and relaxation. We're actually talking about rules and regulations. So let's go. Uh, we're going to walk through five different areas. So we're going to talk about rules and regulations being everywhere. We're going to talk about nobody likes to be told what to do. Then perceived safety equals perceived importance. Then we're going to move into God's rules and regulations. And finally, we're going to wrap things up with sin comes in a variety of flavors. Number one, rules and regulations are everywhere. So it's not rocket science, right? Everywhere you look, there are rules and regulations. And I'm just going to walk through a few, right? So we have physical rules like gravity, um, rules like the farther you descend into water, the higher the pressure gets, the higher you climb, the thinner the air gets, things like that. There are astrological rules. So the earth rotates around the sun one time each year. The moon rotates around the earth one time each month. The earth makes one rotation on its axis every 24 hours. Uh, within a day, there is a period of day and night. And then you have all the stuff that the average person doesn't understand, like how black holes work, how singularities work, things like that. Then you have governmental rules, right? The Constitution, federal laws, uh, things that the government feels are important for all of the citizens living within our country. You have state laws that can be slightly different based on the state you live in. And then you'll have local laws that impact you, you know, based on the city or the county or the district you live in. And for many of us, you have an HOA, which actually sets rules about your house and your neighborhood uh, that you choose to live in. Next, you have rules of the road. So for those of you who drive, obviously you have seatbelt uh, seat rules, you have speed limits, you have road signs. Uh, you know, we have required items like driver's licenses and registration and proof of insurance, all that kind of stuff. Uh, then you have employment or company rules. So, you know, your employer may set rules in terms of your work hours, your job description, uh, what's required of you in order to get paid. You probably have a, a chain of command or a hierarchy of some sort, you know, where you, you've got rules about who you're supposed to go to if you have questions or concerns. Then if you're in school, you have school rules, right? So when you're in school, you've got attendance rules and dress code rules. Um, you have a syllabus and that syllabus tells you what you have to do in order to achieve a certain grade. Uh, and then you have expectations for graduation and things like that. Next, uh, product and service rules. So things like, you know, every time you buy a product or sign up for a service like Netflix or Hulu or something like that, there's, there's an endless document that lists all of the rules, right? It's called terms and conditions. And you know, it's the one that you read every single line of before you sign, right? Like we all do. 
Um, and then there's our family roles. So, you know, some of these are written, some of these are unwritten, but you know, parents have rules for their kids. Um, or there's rules that parents set up just because they're parents. And then there's the first rules you get to experience in life, right? These are the, these are the rules that, you know, as a very, very young kid, the first rules you'll get are some of these rules that your, that your parents set up for you. And this goes a long way in helping to indoctrinate you basically into a world that will be full of rules as you get older. Uh, and even in marriage, so there's rules in marriage, right? Obviously when we get married, we, we stand at the altar and we say, you know, I will, I will, I do, I do. And till death do us part and all of those things. And, you know, those are, those are kind of unwritten rules or spoken rules actually that, that go into that commitment you're making to the other person. You know, a less ominous rule for marriage is, is one that's not really written, but you know, you should probably tell your spouse when you're leaving the house and when you think you'll be home, right? It's not, it's not written in stone, but try not doing that a few times and uh, see what happens. So those are all rules that we uh, experience on a daily basis, on an annual basis, on a monthly basis, whatever. The world is full of rules and regulations. Number two, nobody likes to be told what to do. So obviously we live in a world that's full of rules and regulations. It's what we get. It, it is what it is. There's no getting around it. It's a constant of some sort. And the problem is there's another constant in our lives. We've talked about this before. It's called freedom of choice. And when these two ideas bump heads, there tends to be friction, right? Truth be told, nobody likes to be told what to do. Uh, we live in a country where, you know, we've championed concepts like independence, freedom, autonomy, entrepreneurism, and uh, pursuit of happiness. So you see it immediately, you know, when a child is born, right? Do you have to teach them to say no? Of course not. That comes naturally. It's part of our human nature. Uh, you could say that it's baked into our DNA. However, every time we start getting frustrated with a rule or regula a rule or regulation, uh, we really have two options available to us. First, we can allow our human nature to get the best of us, and we can push back no matter what the situation. Or we can choose to transcend human and evaluate the situation first and then respond based on rational thought. Either way, the rule is not going away. So it's our response to the rule that is important. Let's say that one more time. Either way, the rule is not going away. So it is our response to the rule that is important. But even when we do the right thing by evaluating the rule and, and thinking through it first, you know, there are still times that we find rules limiting, frustrating, and sometimes downright ridiculous. Why is this? Well, because they seem to get in the way of our happiness, right? They, they seem like the only reason that they're in place is to keep us from having a good time. They seem to be in place more for other people's sake than for ours. So whatever the case may be, you know, there are rules that rub us the wrong way. Number three, perceived safety equals perceived importance. So why do we seem okay with some rules and not others? Well, there's an interesting thing that happens and the concept goes like this. The level of safety we perceive a rule to provide 
is directly proportional to the level of importance we place on that rule. One more time. The level of safety we perceive a rule to provide is directly proportional to the level of importance we place on that rule. So more simply put, if we believe a rule protects us from harm, we're more likely to follow it. Conversely, if we don't see the reason behind the rule, we're more likely to break the rule. So let's illustrate this kind of on both ends of the spectrum. Let's, let's throw a couple rules out there and talk through them. So rule number one, don't eat sweets before a meal. Now, it's not very likely that you would view this as a safety thing, right? So you probably won't view it as a very important rule. And there's a chance that kids only follow the rule because it provides safety from their parents, right? It provides them um, safety because of the fear of getting in trouble from their parents. It's not because of what might happen for eating the sweets, what it does to their body. It's more because of getting in trouble. And adults will often stop following this rule at some point because they're grown-ups and they can choose what they want to do. If they want to ruin their meal, they can ruin their meal. It's not that big of a deal. But rule number two, you must drive on the right side of the road, at least in the United States. Now, this is definitely understood to be a safety thing, right? We know that if we drive on the wrong side of the road, we are likely to be involved in a head-on collision. Because of this, we view the rule as pretty important, right? And we adhere to the rule. You know, if, if your teenager came to you and said, you know, I just don't like driving on the right side, man. I think I'm going to drive, drive on the left today. You know, you'd freak out, right? You'd be like, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? No, you're not going to drive on the left side of the road. And so the, the rule is really important because of the perceived safety. Now you can see for the most part that we value a rule if we understand that it's there to protect us. So to kind of summarize this whole section, the, the lower the danger, the less we worry about following the rule. The higher the danger, the more we are willing to follow the rule. Number four, God's rules and regulations. So when it comes to rules and regulations, um, you know, there are tons like we are, we've already talked about, and, and all of those apply to our lives no matter what. But then there's this whole other section of rules and regulations that we could, could attribute to God, right? So just because we're Christians, we don't get to follow God's rules and pretend that the others don't apply, right? The Bible makes it very clear that we are to follow the rules that we have. So in the Bible, it talks about things like, you know, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, you know, which suggests that we should follow the laws of the land. And then there's, you know, right in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother, suggesting that, you know, you there are parental rules that we should follow and, and so on and so forth. So the Bible doesn't, you know, tell us to to try to get out of rules that exist in our society. Uh, it, it, it asks us to follow them. But then God's rules and regulations are on top of those ones that we, that we are already expected to follow. And this is where, again, we start getting irritated and frustrated and, and overwhelmed, right? Because of our freedom of choice. It's that situation where, you know, we have freedom of choice and we, we know that we are able to be in control of our lives, but at the same time, we have somebody or something telling us what to do. So that becomes an issue again. But then also, because we may not understand the reason behind God's rules, and that's, that's another important piece. It's very important that we understand that God isn't some sleazy politician trying to pass a bill 
that includes a ridiculous rule that's just meant to control us or, or even harm certain people um, once it's been put into place. Here are some important things to understand about God's law. God's law exists to protect rather than restrict. Okay, these, these rules are and regulations protect us from lifestyle choices that can actually decrease our level of happiness in the long run. I mean, we may not see it that way, but, but as we, um, you know, looking back, we are often able to see as adults, you know, that some of the, some of the things that God asks us to do or asks us not to do actually provide a level of safety and happiness in the long run. If we can't get to the place where we view God's law in this light, we will probably choose not to follow his rules. And finally, because we're human, even if we try to keep these rules and regulations, we will probably fail from time to time. And that's okay. So where do we find God's rules and regulations? Well, in the Bible, obviously. Um, you know, there are, there are a number of different sets of rules and we'll kind of walk through those. So the first is the 10 commandments. I think everyone's kind of heard of those. And in the 10 commandments, they're broken into four and six. The first four being rules about our relationship with God. And the last six is to do with our relationship with other people. Next, uh, we see rules and regulations in the life of Jesus. So Jesus lived the perfect life. And so if you were going to follow anyone's example, obviously he would be the one to follow. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's a list of unwritten rules and regulations that you can basically read into just by uh, reading the life of Jesus in the Bible. Then you can find, you know, the rest of the rules and the regulations kind of scattered throughout the Bible and just one-off verses and, and chapters where, you know, it's talking about how to live the, the kind of life that God wants you to live. So, uh, you know, here's an example in Matthew 22. Um, it's called the Great Commandment. So uh, it basically says, uh, Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So this verse basically just, you know, adds a a simplified version of, you know, what God asks of us, that we love God and we love others. And if you're doing those two things and doing them well, then you're, you're basically living a life um, where you're making good decisions and you're following a lot of the expectations that God has for you. Number five, sin comes in a variety of flavors. So what happens when we break rules and regulations, right? Not just rules and regulations, uh, you know, in our communities or in our schools or at our job, but what happens when we break God's rules and regulations? So obviously, when we break rules and regulations uh, put on or put into place by people on Earth, you know, we experience things like groundings by our parents, or having to go to the principal's office, or being thrown in jail, uh, getting a speeding ticket, serving a prison sentence. But when we, when we break God's rules and regulations, we call this sin right? Now there's an overlap for sure. If, if we murder somebody, we are sinning, uh, but we will also probably face a prison sentence by the judicial system. Uh, if we steal, we are sinning. I mean, these are both, uh, you know, rules and regulations that God put in place in the 10 commandments. Um, you know, if we steal, we are sinning 
but we may also be charged by the authorities and, and possibly fined or, or sent to prison for stealing. But there are rules and regulations that God has in place that really, you know, don't have a lot to do with the judicial system, right? They don't really care much about them. For example, you know, the government doesn't really care who you worship, at least not right now. Uh, you know, but God asks you to worship him and not other gods or idols or, you know, worldly things, worldly worship, like we talked about last week. Um, you know, so if we fail in this area, we are sinning against God. However, we probably won't be thrown in jail. We probably won't be given a prison sentence if we are worshiping something other than our creator. So these are rules and, and regulations that exist basically between us and God. Now, because of the sin virus, we are born into this life with human nature, right? We've talked about this before, meaning we've already been infected with the sin virus and we carry it throughout our lifetimes. But the sin virus is not a dormant thing, right? It doesn't sit there waiting to infect someone else. In other words, we aren't asymptomatic, to use a big word that we <laughs> have probably heard on the news every night for the last two months. Uh, you know, we exhibit symptoms of the sin virus almost daily, right? There's things that we can see, there's things that others can see, and there's definitely things that God can see uh, because God sees everything that we do. And these symptoms are called sin or sinning, right? It's a direct result of the sin virus wreaking havoc on our systems. Now, obviously, there are so many sins, we don't have time to list them all or catalog them all. Um, but interestingly enough, we can probably clump them into a few buckets that might help us at least see how sin works in our life. So there's like three buckets. We'll just kind of talk through these. Um, there are sins of action. So these are obviously, you know, physical behaviors or things that you do that either break the law or break God's law. So sins of action. And then there are sins of inaction, right? So these are the things that you're asked to do or you're supposed to do, but you choose not to do them. And then finally, you have sins of intent. So these are sins of the heart or mind, basically thinking in such a way that is sinful. Now, this is a kind of a debated topic in the world of Christianity, you know, whether whether sin can actually exist in your mind or if it's, um, you know, if you have to actually do something in order to sin. So we'll stay out of that debate for now, but just know that sins of intent, the suggestion there is that you are thinking in such a way that is sinful. Um, oftentimes when, when people talk about sins of intent, they're talking about, you know, lusting after somebody who you're not married to or, um, you know, premeditated murder where you're basically like, you've already so gone down the road of, of, um, you know, thinking about murdering somebody that in your heart, you've already done it. So those are the kind of the buckets that sin fall into, right? Action, inaction, and intent. So let's land the plane when it comes to rules and regulations and the, the sin that we find in our lives. Uh, this week, think about the various sets of rules that you live under. Uh, ha have you thought about the fact that there are earthly rules and that there are God's rules? Have you, have you seen a distinct difference between the two? Um, have you typically viewed these rules and regulations as good, as bad, 
Um, are, you know, are you the type that follows the rules or are you the type who is always trying to get around them? Uh, do you understand the concept of sin? Do you understand where it came from and how it impacts us? And finally, have you made the connection between your sin and your need to vote in the eternal election? Uh, we'll spend a little bit more time on this in future episodes, but for now, just know that your vote is super important. We've talked a little bit about that in the past, but remember that your vote is super important because it's the antidote to the sin virus. Okay, next week we are going to kind of shift focus a little bit. So the the first few episodes that we've gone through related to controversy theory, we're kind of laying the groundwork for... Um, you know, just various topics that, that help to flesh out what controversy theory is. But when we move into the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth basic assumptions, we're kind of moving into the meat of controversy theory, right? So, so the whole concept of controversy theory is that God and Satan are at war. And as we move into these next few episodes, we're going to kind of take a look at each side, God's side, Satan's side, and we're going to talk through what their game plans are in this in this battle for our allegiance. So, so that's next week. Um, again, if you're enjoying this series on controversy theory, uh, tell a friend or family member, shoot them an email, post something on social media, um, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts. Um, all of those things are helpful in in bringing more people to the show and and getting them information that I think is super helpful for them. So that's it for today. Uh, Thanks again for being with us. And uh, until next time, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels. If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, There's nothing better than word-of-mouth marketing. Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, This will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. Uh, Thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.